AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, long ago in another galaxy there lived a robot. His name was Marvin. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today we're going to talk about robots. We love talking about robots. We yeah, do. we do. Yeah, Specifically, so, uh, robot rights. Well, that's what we're talking about today, robot rights. The idea of, this is, this is something that we, we see in a lot of science fiction, right? Especially Asimov and that kind of uh, uh, type of science fiction. This idea of developing creatures that have some form of artificial or synthetic intelligence mm-hmm. and therefore have some sort of sense of self and does that at that point mean that we as human beings should treat these machines as if they were living things and intelligent living things at, for the, at that right. rather uh, than just tools? Yeah. Usually in science fiction, it's used as a, um, a parallel to classism or racism or other issues that's slavery. actually slavery that's yeah. actually talking about humans. But we're working towards this incredible future or kind of incredible present where we might actually have physical robots. Yeah, it's funny because the the metaphor has 
has uh, sort of become a literal question. Sure. I mean, there's no question now that all humans should have the same rights. At right. In most civilized well, human places. At least we right. think so. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> but but so the, the robots that we've used to illustrate this problem before, now we have to start wondering, like, um, do, do they have rights? In yeah. In the same way a human does not that and seems on on one hand, it's like kind of easy. It's like no, they're machines. But I think we should think about this a little more carefully. Sure. And first of all, I mean, I guess it's it's good to point out the word robot comes from a Czech word, which essentially means slave. Yeah. So when we're talking about robots, that that does show that. I mean, when science fiction writers were writing these stories about robots, it really was a a a kind of a a, a way of talking about human rights and slavery, and not just like. At what point do machines uh, uh, merit rights? But also, are w- at which what rights point do humans? Yeah, merit are, rights? are rights universal? And United yeah. Nations would say yes. There are some universal rights that all humans are you know, should possess. They, but what that, are they? Yeah. yeah so, and how are they applied? Well, yeah. Let's start with the concept of rights and um, and talking about what gets them. So there are material entities that do get rights, for example, humans. Yeah. And then there are material entities that we're pretty sure don't get rights, like bananas. Yeah. No. Or or let's say uh rocks. Sure. Okay. But 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 in between there, um cute puppies. Yeah. Where do cute puppies fall on the scale? Well, I think most people around us would say that the cute puppy has not as many rights as a human, but right. more rights than a rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a hierarchy. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you got the memo or not, but uh, I've got the whole list here. Cute puppies are just below cats, and that's only <laughs> since 1992 when the World Wide Web was introduced. <laughs> Okay. Before that, cute puppies were ruling the roost, but uh, cats have really taken over since the rise of the web. Okay. Well, we've just sort of used our intuitions to say what we think have rights and that like some types of entities have more rights than others. Humans have more than animals. Animals have more than plants, rocks. Plants have more than rocks. Yeah, maybe you might plants, say that. Plants might be in there somewhere. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, let's try to – flesh this out and say what is the actual rubric we're using because if we if we hone in on that that might help us decide whether or not an intelligent seeming robot should have rights what what is it that makes a human have rights well for one thing there's this concept of life right just okay. just the concept of life itself. Uh, and to define life is a little tricky. Uh, even if you go with the scientific definition, it tends to be tricky. For example, one definition here is the condition that distinguishes animals and plants from inorganic matter. Okay, well, all right, we yeah. got that. So it's whatever, whatever uh, makes organic stuff different from inorganic, that's life. Uh, to go further, it says including the capacity for growth, reproduction, functional activity and continual change preceding death. Now, there are people who have argued uh, that this does this is while a pretty good definition is still really kind of fuzzy because there's some things out there that seem to at least adhere to some of this, but it's hard to define it as being alive. For example, a virus. That's difficult because it it has some of these properties, but other Things make it seem like it's not really life as we define other types of life. But then there are other things entirely that seem to behave to these rules, but we would never call them alive. Like fire. Hmm. Fire, it, it, does it, does it grow? Yes. If it has fuel, it will continue to grow. Does it reproduce? Yes. 
It can reproduce. Does it have a functional activity? Well, I guess you could call burning. Uh, continual change preceding death. Yes, that also can be the case. These are things that, you know, if you were to just use that, that line of reasoning, you might say fire is alive. It seems to behave as if it were alive, but we do not define that as being alive. So just defining whether or not something is alive is already tricky, and we haven't even gotten to robots yet. <laughs> well, but so, you know, and, the, and then you get into the psychology or the, the ethics, the morality of what life is. And, and that's when you start thinking about, well, it, it, is something alive when it has consciousness? Or when it has self-consciousness, and where on the hierarchy do those qualities fall? Yeah, I'd like to talk a bit about consciousness because I, I'm skeptical about life as a as a definition it of exists. what has rights. Oh, no, oh, yeah. oh, I see, I see. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't continue listening to their full thought there. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, obviously, we don't really particularly seem to think bacteria have rights. I mean, that seems. Yeah, to me. They, or, don't, they don't get a lot of voice in the polls. No, no. And so th- there seems to be a, a trend that for some reason, like a dog has more rights than bacteria and humans have more rights than dogs. Um, so maybe it has something to do with the obvious thing that establishes this hierarchy, which is intelligence. Mm. or Which, the, again, is very difficult to define. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but then again, we wouldn't want to... Uh, create substrate to say like if you're a smarter human you should have more, more rights, rights than, than a, a less intelligent human, human. Yeah. that's clearly wrong although i do want to see a star trek episode about that if one does not already exist yeah <laughs> oh sure yeah that makes but, sense where the the crew visits a planet where people who are smarter have more rights than people who are less smart i could totally see that okay so there's there's a hierarchy established by something having to do with our minds but it shouldn't just be like how smart you are Sure. So maybe there's a hierarchy based on whether or not you seem to have something called consciousness. Again, difficult to define. Difficult to define, but it's we're going to have to try to deal with it. Okay, so what is consciousness? I, I think <laughs> the best way to describe it is um, the experience of being like something. Okay. So there's an experience of being you, uh, and we only know we know that it exists because we each have it. Yeah, we have our individual experience of being. Right. So we know that there's at least one consciousness in the world. Yes, which may only be ourselves. Yeah, we assume that all the other humans have consciousness. Yeah, this is, this is something that Turing was talking about, right? Alan Turing, when he was setting up his his thought experiment, the Turing test. So this is a concept where what Joe's talking about is that Joe knows that he possesses this thing called consciousness because there's a there's an experience of being me. Right. But Joe is the only person who has had that experience. I, Jonathan, have not had the experience of being Joe. So I've had the experience of being Jonathan. I know that Jonathan possesses consciousness because that's me. However, I don't know, as in I cannot know because I cannot be Joe. I cannot know for certain that Joe possesses consciousness. And However, some philosophers have said this is, this is straight up impossible. Right. You can never experience anything outside of yourself. Yourself, right. So in that sense... Uh, what happens is I make an assumption. I assume that because Joe is a human being and I too am a human being and that Joe seems to possess the same sort of qualities that I possess, that among those qualities is consciousness and that Joe, in fact, possesses it. But I cannot know that for certain. Uh, it also helps that I can tell you I have consciousness. Sure. I mean, that's no way to know for sure, but that seems to add to the idea. Like if you... Things that attest to be conscious are probably more 
more likely to be conscious. So, or you're hallucinating, but yeah. that's or, a separate subject. Or you're talking to a computer program. This brings us to Turing. Yeah. Right. So what Turing said was that with the Turing test, this idea that you would sit down at a terminal and you would have a conversation. And that conversation might be with another human being who is also on another terminal typing it out to you. Or it might be a computer program that's just generating responses. If you are unable to tell the difference reliably, whether that's a human being or a, a, a computer program, you might as well say the computer program possesses consciousness. It seems to possess the same qualities you do. And while I would go ahead and say to Joe, Joe, I assume you have consciousness because you appear to do the same things I do. Why would I not extend the same courtesy to a piece of software that appears to do the same thing? Uh, again, Turing is saying it doesn't matter really if the program actually is conscious. It just matters that it appears to be conscious because – you that's, can't tell that's, the difference. You can't, you can't tell, tell the, right. the difference. Joe appears to be conscious, so <laughs> I assume that that's one thing he possesses. Uh, Lauren appears to be also conscious right now because <laughs> she had caffeine before we came in here. But give it a few more minutes of her listening to me. And yeah. Well, zonk. the yeah. two of us together are lulling her into a gentle dreamland. <laughs> okay. So uh, this idea of consciousness is relevant to the idea of robot rights because – Consciousness may very well form the basis of who we decide gets rights. Um, I, Because I have consciousness, I have things that I want and things that I don't want. So I want freedom. I want safety. Um, I want bodily integrity. I, I don't want to be worked to death, mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. Um, and so because I want these things, I assume other humans that – uh, you know, have brains want these things also, and thus I wouldn't want it done to me. I assume they don't want it done to them, mm -hmm. and thus humans deserve rights. Right? You can you can at least feel sympathy toward other human beings, if not uh, empathy. If not empathy. Uh, now, empathy is one of those things that we'll talk about, especially when it gets to robots, because. Empathy requires sort of a two-way interaction. And so there's certain things that you can feel sympathy toward, but you cannot feel empathy toward because... Because their experience is intrinsically different than your own. Or they're not experiencing anything. For yeah. example, right. something that's truly inanimate. There, You can feel sympathy well, toward inanimate objects, but not necessarily empathy. But that's the question, actually. We feel bad about, say, working a human to death. We know that should not be done. Right. But we shouldn't – but we don't feel bad about working a car engine to death. Right. Um, because we assume that the car engine does not actually have an experience of being – where it wants to survive and doesn't want to be, you know, worked to death and, and it wants to have freedom. I mean, that, that just seems silly to us. It would, but it would be like crushing a piece of ice. Like you don't yeah. feel badly for the ice. But who knows? Maybe we should because there are actually a couple of ideas about where consciousness comes from. Do you ever think about what is the cause of consciousness? Yeah, there's well, actually tons of a, tons of interesting philosophical. Thought, right. There's philosophical debate. Then you have the uh, the the like you have neurologists who take a much more uh, you know physical approach to consciousness. There's a lot of of talk about it. Well, okay, so um, unless we you could start on one hand by saying that some people, of course, will probably take like a supernatural view, and they'd say that that a soul is responsible for consciousness or something like that. Um, you know, who, that may be true, but there's no way to show it. Right. That's just, that's not scientific. Yeah, we just, not not meaning that it's wrong, but rather that, but there's, that there's no, no way to test for it. Right. Right. 
Um, so if if that's true, we just don't know. Yeah. Um, but there are other options of ideas about how consciousness could come about in a physical universe, mm-hmm. uh, physically. One idea is this idea of emergentism, which is that consciousness is not present in, say, individual neurons, but only arises as a phenomenon that is somehow more than the sum of the brain's parts. Um, and in this case, it would be uh, basically the idea that the more complex brains become, the higher states of consciousness they achieve. Interesting. Um, so that's one idea. It's an emergent property of complex brains. But there are questions that come from that. Say like, um, okay, well, you have this idea that something's building up towards consciousness. Well, what is it building with? And when you ask that question, you get to a really interesting philosophy, the idea of panpsychism. Have you all heard of this? No. I have not. Panpsychism is the proposal that the universe inherently has mind within it, that all matter, even inanimate objects, may contain units of consciousness, so that there is such thing as the experience of being a rock or a pile of sand. This sounds an awful lot to me like like a phenomenon that I was reading about in psychological research called um, phenomenological intersubjectivity, which basically, I mean, is a unnecessarily long word that basically means that, that because humans can only know for certain what it is to be human, that we use this base of experience to evaluate and consider non-human agents. Yeah, there's a similar thing in literary circles called the pathetic fallacy. Not being pathetic, but rather that you are, uh, in this case, talking about Pithy. emotion. Right. You're talking about the you know, imbuing emotion upon things that, as far as we know, are incapable of actually feeling emotion. But this, th- it's similar, right. but not the same thing. Well, but there you're starting with the assumption that this is false. I mean, this is the proposal is that th- this may actually be true. And I don't think it's fair to dismiss this idea of, out of hand. There's actually an interesting philosopher named Galen Strawson. Um, and he's got the idea. He says, basically, um, if you accept that the nature of reality is physical and that consciousness is a feature of the physical world, you should accept the idea that units of consciousness are, in his words, literally physical, like an electric charge. Well, that might be so, but I would think that that's also possible that it's a manifestation of very specific types of matter. In other words, types of matter like of neural course. cells, that would be a manifestation of consciousness. But if you're talking about just you know a collection of iron atoms, that might not be. So while you may well, still have I mean, that physical is, basis... It's, it's still an interesting... I mean, you know, I, I can see the argument that the same way that we know that gravitons exist, but that we don't know what they are or what they do, that perhaps there's a conscious neutron that um, <laughs> probably wouldn't be called that, but, you know, but, but is some kind of quantum unit of of ideation. Um, yeah, I, I think the issue with this is I think it's a really interesting idea and it's because of this same problem, the Turing problem we've talked about, it's just impossible to test. Which means it's not scientific. Right. Again, well, it's philosophy. It's yeah, a, no, it's right, it truly right. is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not scientific in the sense that But of course, that neither, neither is it scientific to say that rocks don't have mind. Well, no, unless you are we able to... test against it. What yeah. you would have yeah. to do is prove that rocks do have mind. Right. That would be scientific. It's, so, but uh, you wouldn't be able to do that either. Well, 
I mean, not the, using this approach. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's the, see, this is one of those things where the, it's an interesting thought experiment. It's, it's the same problem I have with a lot of philosophy is that ultimately there's not a whole lot you can do practically with this sort this. of idea. Yeah. Right. It's just like, well, that's an interesting idea. Moving on. <laughs> um, what you could do is, uh, is sort of like test it against uh, propositions that are brought up by other by actual induction by forms of experimentation and stuff like that principles that we know to be true in one way or another maybe we can test whether or not this idea is consistent with them or not um, yeah and still it's difficult to tell but anyway the the point of this is ideas like this I think make it not so necessarily obvious that robots don't have an experience of being. As even if you believe in, in, say, the emergent theory of consciousness, well, I don't know. When you create an intensely complicated neural network uh, through, you know, of a, of a simulated robot brain, are you perhaps creating an emergent phenomenon of experience? Well, it the other argument I would make about this is that uh, the even if, even if you were to create some form of consciousness, let's assume that there is a basic unit of consciousness, that everything has some sort of element of this, you cannot then extend the uh, assumption that that experience is anything remotely like the human experience. No, not at all. So here's the when you start talking about rights, what we're basing that yeah. on is human rights. You can't so. even assume that my experience is like yours, though. We're back to the problem we started with. No, you're but trapped in your experience. If we're able to have a conversation, we can at least find ground where we seem to share some form of commonality. Right. Right. So now if we're talking about a a an object that apparently that, that may or may not possess this basic element. Uh, again, since you cannot assume that that is at all remotely analogous to the human experience, when it comes to talking about rights, it's kind of a moot point anyway, because what we would consider rights for us might not at all be similar to right. whatever that conscious thing. The rock would might rights. really enjoy being set on fire, or and turned we just in, don't know. Or turned into glass. Yeah. Maybe it thinks it's pretty. So that's a good point. We we don't know. Even if there is such a thing as the experience of being a robot, uh, we can't know for sure what that robot would want. Yeah. But like we were just saying, we can't know for sure what anybody else would want. And we well, sure unless they tell you. Yeah. <laughs> in well, which case, that's we, the good you know, thing about most humans. They will, in fact, very vocally like, tell you. Right. If you're cutting off someone's foot and they say, I really don't want you to do that, I usually take them for their word. I do it anyway. Then would we uh, perhaps have some inkling of an obligation to help a robot achieve its task efficiently? Does the <laughs> robot want it? I don't know. See, here's the thing is that we yeah. first have to get to a point where we have a robot that is capable of what we would consider to be intelligent communication. That in itself does not necessarily mean the robot is intelligent, but it's capable of at least simulating it. And right. Turing would say that that is yeah. enough. The, the the door that says that it's very pleased to open for you and will be... <laughs> Thank you for coming through this door, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's... it's <laughs> Do you have an obligation to help that door open and close as often as possible? <laughs> uh, you mostly have an obligation to slowly go mad as the door <laughs> thanks you for walking through it over and over again, as Douglas Adams had written about extensive um, you know, so it's it's you know first we get to a point where we have uh, robots that somehow behave beyond simple uh, 
machines oh, oh, that, yeah. that, that perform tasks. Here, here we're assuming a robot that very closely simulates human intelligence. Right. Now, once you get to that point, then things really do get tricky. If the robot is able to simulate consciousness and intelligence, whether or not it possesses it is kind of beside the point. Because just like Turing was saying, we have to just start assuming that the thing has what it appears to possess. Right. Well, yeah, that's what I uh, sort of meant with the panpsychism thing. Uh, we don't know this is true, but w- on the off chance that it is, yeah. should we give them rights? So that's a good question. And in fact, there was a, a question asked in a game. It was a game that was associated with uh, the movie AI. So the the Kubrick film that ended up being taken over by Spielberg, mm-hmm. it was all about a, a little boy robot and its um, – Adventures and and self discovery. Terrible, terrible adventures. Yeah. So um. So well, it would have been even more terrible had Kubrick actually directed it. But it uh uh. Oh, Spielberg has a little bit more of a soft space for. I was gonna say schmaltzy, but soft space is good. Uh. So yeah. Uh. It's um. Anyway, the the idea in, in this game was that you were solving various mysteries, and there were lots of different elements of this game. It was an alternate reality game, an ARG, and which, mm-hmm. which um, means a marketing thing leading up to the film coming out. I believe in this case it was a marketing thing. Not all ARGs are oh, marketing, right, certainly. but this one in particular was, and uh, it actually extended beyond the opening of the film. In fact, people were playing this game well after the film had opened. Uh, but the idea was that it was supposed to draw you into the the universe created in this particular movie. And you did lots of different stuff, but one of the things that happened was that players in the game were assumed to be in this future world that AI took place in. So you were playing yourself, you were being you, but you were assumed to be in the future. And they actually held a referendum. And in the referendum, they were voting on whether or not robots should receive human rights. Because they had, in the film, if you have not seen it, you see that there are robots that are gaining a, a sense of self-awareness um, some have more of a sense of self-awareness than others. Depending on how advanced the individual robot in question is. Right. So they you've essentially reached the point now where robots are capable of experiencing life on some level. Whether or not it's completely analogous to a human is, is beyond our ability to say, but they are having an experience. That's That becomes clear in the movie. So the question is, should we extend rights to robots? And they held a vote among the players. Uh, I was one of the players who voted no. But the reason I voted no was not because I thought that these rights had to be withheld from a robot force. It was actually more of a, uh, it was more of a, uh, to start a conversation about how I thought it irresponsible to create such an intelligence in the first place if what you were intending the robot to do was uh, to work for you as a tool of some sort. Like you should not give a tool these sort of things because the tool has a very specific purpose. Now, I know we like to talk about how all people have a purpose in life. There's a purpose. But in general, we think of that as something that we get to discover for ourselves. A that, choice that we get to yeah, make. Yeah, like we, we get to make choices. We get to choose what we want and in an ideal cir- set of circumstances. Obviously, there are people who live in different ones that have very limited, if any, choices. But ideally, you have all the different options open to you and you make the choices that are right for you and you find your purpose however you wanted to find that. But if you are something that was created for a very specific task, if you're a tool, then really you have your purpose preordained for you. You did not get to make those choices. And so to give something like that intelligence and agency and and consciousness to me 
is incredibly cruel because it means that either you are forcing it to do something that it may not want to do or that you're just assuming that somehow that's going to make it do the thing that it, it was supposed to do better. It's it's not an ideal situation. So that's why I voted against it in the game, knowing that in the game it didn't ultimately matter one way or the other. The the conclusion was going to be that the robots were going to rise up against us anyway. Uh, spoiler alert! But <laughs> but the you know it was it was important to me to have that conversation that. In my mind, it was an unethical approach that unless you had the full intent that we want to create another species, another kind of life, a synthetic kind of life that uh, from the outset, that was our goal, then that's okay. Make sure they have the rights because I think that that's important. If you're giving them that ability to think and to have self-awareness and that's their purpose for whatever reason – Give them the rights. They deserve them. But if you are talking about just trying to make a really good toaster, don't give it the intelligence in the first place. Of course, I guess we have no idea if the toaster has intelligence, but probably not. I, I'm going with no. Uh, <laughs> I, it certainly does have um, – Sorry, not intelligence. Uh, consciousness. Consciousness. Right. I, yeah. I, I, think it, I think it certainly has a, a sense of vindictiveness based upon how my yeah. – my, my toast might come out one day versus another. Maybe you should be nicer to your toaster. Maybe I should stop plugging it into that atomic generator I've got in the back. I don't know. Yeah. One of the follow-ups to the whole panpsychism discussion we had is, of course, like, if that is true, then obviously it would apply to robots, but it would also apply to rocks and toasters. It would apply to the, it would apply to the, the raw materials of the robot. Yeah. Um, so that's an interesting thing in itself, but I have another, thing I'd like to raise, which is that I think whether or not we believe that robots actually do have intrinsic rights, like whether they themselves need and deserve them, we might end up giving them rights anyway for our own needs. Right. I see exactly what you're saying, Joe. I mean, it may be that it's not it, – it doesn't even necessarily mean that we feel that the robots are – truly intelligent or truly conscious. We may even still openly question that and yet give them rights because we tend to identify with stuff. We tend to imbue stuff with characteristics that it may or may not inherently possess. And then if we don't act according to those those feelings that we have, we start feeling like that's wrong. It's AKA you know, anthropomorphism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, in in psychology they talk about it being a way, you know, that that humans are emotionally uncomfortable with things that are not like us and that anthropomorphism allows us to um to reduce that discomfort. Yeah, that's that's attributing human qualities to non-human things, whether right. whether it's uh inanimate or animate. So for example, like, you know, uh the Simpsons uh, has this great little moment in one of the early episodes where everyone's looking at I think it's like a little dog and the dog sneezes and one of the characters says, "Ha, thinks it's people." Well, you know, <laughs> that's kind of kind of what we're talking about. Anthropomorphism is where, you know, you might look at your at your pet and just assume that your pet is feeling a certain way, but we really can't know that it's actually having any sort of emotion that's similar to ours. We do think they have emotions, but whether or not they map toward the kind of emotions that we have, 
that's a huge leap. Oh, sure. And and this this theory is is not anything new. I mean, this supposedly goes back to ancient Greece, where um where a philosopher was using it to describe the similarity between religious believers and their gods. You know that that um that he was noticing that that the Greeks considered their gods to look basically like them, and that the Africans considered their gods to look basically like them, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Um and but uh, in you know now in the present neuroscience research has shown that that similar brain regions are involved in thinking about the behavior of, of humans and also non-human objects. Uh, yeah, and from what I've read, I think we are particularly susceptible to having feelings about robots. Uh, I actually read, this was just published the other day in the uh, IEEE spectrum. Uh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> hey, that's my joke. The, the um, well, okay, so it was a report on uh, a thesis by a University of Washington student, Julie Carpenter, um, and the thesis was entitled "The Quiet Professional: An Investigation of U.S. Military Explosive Ordnance Disposal Personnel Interactions with Everyday Field Robots." Um, I want to read a little selection from that article. Yeah, it yeah. Says that, what Carpenter found is that troops' relationships with robots continue to evolve as the technology changes. Uh, soldiers told her that attachment to the robots didn't affect their performance, yet acknowledged they felt uh, a, a range of emotions such as frustration, anger, and even sadness when their field robot was destroyed. That makes Carpenter wonder whether outcomes on the battlefield could potentially be compromised by human-robot attachment or the feeling of self-extension into the robot described by some operators. So there's wow. this this perception that there could be a problem because what you're supposed to use this robot for is to get killed for you. Right, right. right. You know, it, it goes where, where he, there would be danger to human life and to preserve human life, you send your robot in. But the problem if is... If you start if, feeling bad about the robot yeah, dying, then... Yeah, that's kind of a problem. And I can very much imagine the same kind of reaction happening as we incorporate more robotics into our day-to-day lives. You know, people name their Roombas. They name Oh, them. yeah, of course. They have I'm like, feeling, duh. Yeah, yeah, they do. <laughs> they have feelings about their Roombas, and I highly suspect, I don't have any scientific literature on this, but I highly suspect that people get way sadder when their Roombas break down than when their toaster breaks. Oh, when and you're... It, Toaster breaks. It's kind of annoying. I, I think this has to do partially, and and this is again. I, I don't. I don't have any numbers on it, but I feel like it's probably because robots um, move autonomously, and autonomous movement is one of those things that we generally apply to living stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, uh, for 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 the same reason that um, that a child might be more upset about a toy that moves around breaking than it would be about uh, otherwise stationary stuffed yeah, animal. Yeah, it all depends on the. Uh the emotional attachment. I'm still bitter about my blankie. Um, <laughs> well, there was an interesting art project. I was just trying to research and see if I could find. Uh, I think it it was Mark Owens who did this project. Mark Owens created something called the Avatar Machine, uh, and I wrote an article about it many years ago. Now that that doesn't really apply to this conversation, but I want to say it was Owens that also created an interesting experience. Uh, he he was really interested he was you know kind of thinking about people's relationships with inanimate objects and technology and how we can form a at least a one-way emotional bond with something that itself does not appear to have any kind of emotion or feeling and uh, i want to say it was owens who had created this uh, interesting experiment where he had a lamp 
and had this kind of a, a membrane stretched over the lamp. So light was showing through the membrane and then gave people scalpels where they would be able to cut through the membrane to let light show through. But that the was mem- their task, right? Their right. task was to get light to show through. And the membrane looked like skin. It was very similar to skin. And the idea was that you see how people reacted to the thought of having to cause damage to this thing in order to let light through. And because it looks so much like skin, there were people who were very hesitant to cut it. Like they, they were afraid of, I guess, of hurting it in a way, or just that the, the thought of having to cause damage to let light through was something that gave them a sense of hesitation. So that alone, we're talking about just a lamp here. That's, Mm -hmm. there's no animate part of this other than the fact that the light can come on or off. Imagine it can have convincing conversations with you. Right. So yeah, once we get to that part. And, and, and all three of us have, have talked about, um, uh, off, off, off the mic about, um, having problems playing video games when the computerized avatars in the games look too much like a real human person. Like the more realistic they get, the more uncomfortable we are with causing pain to them. Right. Yeah. yeah. Even though y- you know you're not actually hurting any living thing. Yeah. It's, right. It's right. Still... Like 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 harvesting the little sisters in uh, in Bioshock. Oh yeah. I couldn't do it. I couldn't. Uh, I wanted to see what it looked like when you did it, but I couldn't make myself do it. I had to look it up on YouTube. Yeah. I didn't do it either. And we had this discussion yeah. as well. Is that in video games? If you have a game where you are given the choice to do something, whether it's you know uh, the moral choice, however you want to define that, or the evil choice, uh, I always go the good guy route. I I have trouble playing as a villain unless it's such a cartoonish villain. Way to that, brag! Well, you know, I'm just saying. I personally oh, I can't. I personally can't play that way. Except when it's a game where that's really your. If it's not a choice, if that's just the way the game works, then I end up being able to to play through it without too much trouble. But if it's one of those things where you choose one or the other, I hate having to choose things that uh, that don't seem to benefit the people that I like in the game. The people being like the characters in the no, game that I like. Mm-hmm. They have no actual experience and you're causing harm to no one. Right, exactly. Right. I could choose I could choose to waste an entire village in a in an RPG if I had a character who was strong enough to be able to take on all the guards that would immediately be set upon me. Uh, but I, I have problems with it. I like, like uh, Skyrim's another example. I play Skyrim and I'll walk into uh, an inn, for example. They're, none of those characters are at all alive, but they all have their own little personalities, uh, even though they may be used by the same voice actors that I've heard a billion times in other towns. I, I can't bring myself to just go into wholesale slaughter mode and start wiping out characters. Uh, in fact, I, I don't know if this happened originally with Skyrim, but recently I've been playing it again, and I would get letters from the first town I went in when a villager would be killed by some other event that happened while I was not in the village and they had given me an inheritance. They had willed an inheritance to me and I received gold because they had died. <laughs> I would be upset about this. <laughs> like, no, no, poor Osric is dead or whatever, you know. And Yeah, so I think the conclusion of this is that robot rights may be coming whether robots deserve them or not. Yeah, or need them or or, yeah. or even if they're able to at all think in a way that we consider well, analogous to human thinking. Yeah, in my opinion, that would be the, the rubric for whether or not they actually deserve them. If there is an experience of being a robot, obviously the robot needs Deserves, some kind of protection. Right. We don't know whether or not there will be, but I think robots will be cute enough 
and anthropomorphic enough if they're going to be moving around, having conversations sure. with us, mm-hmm. resembling life in any way, even and as much as like a bomb disposal robot does. Right, right. And and especially well, because, you know, there's there's theories in marketing that tell us that uh, that when we can highly anthropomorphize something, that people will be more likely to buy it. Yeah. So this um, all ties so, in. So, yeah, I, I very much suspect that we're going to have strong feelings about protecting the interests of our robots, whether or Robot not the friends, robots yeah. actually care. It'll be interesting to see the first case uh, brought against someone for robot abuse. Yeah. I mean, that then you that, that'll really, the way it's decided in the courts will be uh, interesting because it may or may not align with the way that the general population feels. And, and it's a good question, too. Um, okay, so imagine we do grant some kind of rights to robots just voluntarily, say, uh, even though they don't need them. Is it actually immoral to be gratuitously cruel to a robot if the robot can't feel it? That's a good question. I mean, is it immoral to be just incredibly to, to be cruel to play in a video in Grand game? Theft Auto? Yeah. yeah. Well, there, yeah. there, there are certainly non-Western theories. I mean, or I mean, you know, I guess, I guess non-mainstream Western theories that say that yes, that causing damage to even, even non, non-alive beings is detrimental to your own personal. So, if I were to draw a picture of a stick figure and then rip it up into tiny little pieces, according to that philosophy, that would be bad. Well, you know, just just the the, the concept of trying to to reach freedom from suffering, which is the basic tenet of of Buddhism, sure. for example. That and that you know, introducing negativity of any kind into your life is is going to negatively yeah. affect. It just reminded me of Hitchcock, who, who <laughs> yeah. said that he he envied Disney because Disney could just. Rip up its rip actors. Up, rip up his actors and throw them <laughs> oh, away. Hitchcock. Whenever they were giving him trouble. <laughs> so that, that's great. Yeah, one of those one of those little little nuggets that I just absolutely love. Well, uh, this is you know. So I agree. I think that uh, robots are um are are probably going to end up once they they reach a certain level of sophistication, end up being given rights by humans uh, simply because emotionally for us that's something that will meet our needs, if if not the robots. Um, except for Furbies, because screw those guys. So, uh, yeah, I guess that wraps up our discussion about robot rights. Uh, guys, if you want to join this conversation, you want to tell me, hey, no, Furbies deserve rights too. You're wrong, but you're w- welcome to try. Uh, go to fwthinking.com. That's where you can find the blogs, the videos, the podcasts, the articles that we write that are some, that, that associate with the different topics we're, we're tackling. Be part of that conversation. Join us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Google+. You can find us with the handle FWThinking. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit ForwardThinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.